This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. You know, I love uh, when I'm preparing sermons, looking for videos. Um, I try to find videos that are appropriate for our sermon. And I just, I really like that one, hearing the testimonies of people who have found Christ. Uh, I don't know if you ever had opportunity, but read a book about evangelism. I, I love the process when people get saved. Like, like that moment right before they get saved into the moment they get saved. Like all the things that are starting to coalesce and crystallize, we realize God is real. And it's almost like they realize, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not alone. There's, there's more to life. Um, I don't know about you, I read a book, and you may laugh or snicker at the book, but it was a book called uh, Chuck Colson, Born Again. And I don't know if you ever had an opportunity, I, it's, a, it's a book I, I read, and I don't know what you, you think about it one way or the other, but man, it was a, it was a powerful book. I, some books I read is about the head, and this book was about the heart. And I read that book, and I was like, I was worshiping God because of the amazing experience he had. Imagine this man who basically was on top of the world ended up in jail. I don't care about his politics. I'm not a politician. You see, I post on Facebook both sides of the story. I don't, I don't care about politics. I just care about souls getting saved. I know in the end, amen, I know in the end God's kingdom will reign, and that's real. My hope is that like Joshua discovered before he was going into the promised land, he told the angel of the Lord, he said, are you on our side or against us? And the angel of the Lord said, what? Neither. He said, I'm not on your side or theirs, but in God's name I came. I'm coming as the captain of hosts. And sometimes we think that God is on our side or, or the other side. Honestly, he's, he's on his own side. The question you have to ask yourself is, whose side are you on? Don't be deceived into thinking there's one side more right than the other. God's side is the only side. In the end, my hope is that you discover whose side you are on. Hopefully, that's the side of the Lord. We're entering, again, some great sermons uh, from Jesus, but this particular sermon to me was very important. Uh, We've been systematically going through uh, Jesus' ministry in the book of Matthew, and here we take a leap forward several chapters. As you see today, that we see, I said there are some empty seats today because there are a lot of people sick. And I usually say that I'm honestly serious, but I don't know if it was the warm weather or if it was the cold weather or, as Tim said, the, the rainy weather. <laughs> uh, but nevertheless, uh, we do have a lot of people out who are sick, so keep them in prayer. Also, keep the Petersons in prayer. Uh, they have some family struggles, and you may not know about it, but uh, just keep their family in prayer. Uh, I don't want to give too much information, but just, you know, go give them a hug. Tell them that you love them because you do love them. And uh, I want them to know that they're supported. And if you're struggling with a particular issue, that's what this church is about. Our hope is to be able to provide care for you. 
But we oftentimes don't know that you're struggling unless you come to us. Now, you may say, Pastor, my goodness, there's only three people in the congregation right now. You should know everything. You can live in a house with somebody and not know anything that's going on. I'm just being honest, right? So even though we have, <laughs> y'all are a little too excited about that one. <laughs> so just give us some grace here as a church. As If you're struggling, please reach out. We want to help. We want to be there for you. Sometimes we're a little awkward because we're not professional caregivers yet, and I hope we never become professional. I just hope we just love out of our own natural compassion. And as we do that, it's going to be messy. We're going to make mistakes, but we genuinely do love you and care for you. Uh, I was also told by Adam is we're going to have a unique care group that's about to start, a small group. And uh, if you want more information about that, some of you can't go to a small group every single week. So we have one that I don't know if it's bi-weekly or bi-monthly, but it's a unique time uh, for us doing care groups. So if you're interested in going to care group in a little unique fashion, please see bi-weekly every other Friday. So... Please see Adam about that. You know, he's, he's a, a care group, a small group coordinator. So if you have more questions or are interested in that, please, uh, please see him. And um, I apologize. This morning I'm going to be darting off here, not super early, but a little early. So if um, I don't give you a hug on the way out, blame Matt. He's the, to blame 100%. So, <laughs> uh-oh, he's on it now. All right. Well, I love you, and I'm going to jump in this sermon. So if I disappear, it's time for the Lord, not me anyway. Father God, thank you, Lord, uh, for this day. I thank you, Lord God, that you always keep your word. And Lord God, I'm sorry, Lord God, where we have fallen, where we've missed it, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord God, where we haven't put your plans before our own, Lord God. I'm sorry, Father God, where we've fallen short, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord God, where we've taken your plans and made them our own, Lord God. I pray this day, Lord, that we'll reorient our lives to your will and your purpose in a way that gives you glory and honor. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we've been going through the book of Matthew. And remember, the book of Matthew is written to what audience? The Jews. So understand when Matthew writes, he's writing to a very specific group of people. Does something fall down on you? He's writing to a very specific group of people. Um, Nevertheless, uh, we can still glean principles from Matthew that are very appropriate for us today. Understand Matthew was a tax collector, and he had the ability to write shorthand. That's why we have such large volumes of information coming from Matthew. He has three of Jesus' four greatest or longest sermons. So understand when you're reading Matthew, there's a lot of detail, there's a lot of specificity, but it's written that way for a particular reason. And we're going to cover something of Jesus' teaching that is very controversial per se. Now, it's more clearly spelled out in Mark. If we go back to the book of Mark, it's only 16 chapters long. And in the very middle of the book of Mark, there's a peripatia or a sudden literary t- turn in the book of Mark. And I don't know if you know, ever seen the movie uh, Signs or Sixth Sense. Anybody seen those movies? Well, a peripatia is when the, you think the story is going this way, and all of a sudden, it goes this way. You got like, I need to rewind that to the beginning because I am blown, right? Like, remember in the sixth, it was the sixth sense, he was, I'm not going to tell you though if you haven't seen it yet, but it was like different than what you thought you were watching or even the movie Signs. Like, it was completely different than what you thought you were watching. Well, that's the same way in the book of Mark, chapter 8. Everything the disciples thought was happening was completely reversed. 
it was such a change that it shocked them to their very core. From that point on, chapter 8 of Mark on, it's tough. Look at the life of Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 1 through 7, and it's only up and up. But in chapter 8, everything turns on his heel. This is the same thing that happens today in the book of Matthew chapter 16. Everything up to this point, Jesus is bawling. He, in the mind of the disciples and all those people who are watching his life, he is fulfilling everything they thought the Messiah would be. He's doing it to a T. And they're looking at Jesus' life and they're like, this is the Messiah. This is the son of David. Look at all the great things he could do. He has power over spiritual entities. He can cast out demons with a word. He can heal people just by putting his hand on them. He's raising the dead to life. He's feeding the multitudes. This is a warrior general. Imagine the military advantage we could have if this guy's leading us into a battle. We can fight and we can lose thousands of men. But you know what can happen? He can blip, 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 raise them all back to life. And we're still balling. We'll never lose. Imagine we don't have to worry about a supply line of food because all we need is a couple of fish sandwiches. And he can make those fish sandwiches multiply. We can be so flexible and nimble as an army. Man, we're going to overcome the Romans and everyone else who lives on the planet. But there's something that happens in chapter 16 that is a major change. I got a quote and we'll jump into the scripture. A man named Watchman Nee, I, I like Watchman Nee. The, the, my teacher did not like Watchman Nee. But nevertheless, in seminary, I, I like Watchman Nee. His teachings are kind of hard to swallow sometimes, a little tough, but... He has a book called, I think it was The Average Christian Life or The Normal Christian Life. <laughs> and it was rough, but it's a great book. It helps sober you to the realities of Christianity as taught by Jesus Christ. He's a man that literally tried to live out what Jesus taught. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't make it so that, oh, yeah, I can see that. No, no. He taught what Jesus taught as it was taught. And it's a way of life that is applicable to every single culture on the planet. But here, he has a quote. He says, God's means of delivering us from sin is not by making us stronger and stronger, but by making us what? Weaker and weaker. That is surely rather a particular way of victory, you say, but it is the divine way. God sets us free from the dominion of sin, not by strengthening our old man, but by crucifying him. Not by helping him to do anything, but by removing him from the scene of action. This is a very important point in Christian circles. It's dying to yourself. There's a problem sometimes we have in following Christ. Sometimes this old man that we have doesn't want to die. And this old man or old woman who we carry along with us and we have expectations that the desires and whims of this old man or woman continue to need to be fulfilled. Sometimes we think the desires of this old man are in a sense essential or intertwined in the desires of the new man. This old man and new man is something we constantly wrestle with in our life. Let the old man die. And that old man or woman who is dead in a sense, is your desires. 
The desires that, in a sense, usurp the desires of God. Who sits on the throne of your heart? You have dreams and aspirations. Praise God. But understand, if those dreams or aspirations don't line up with God's will, that might be the desires and whims and dreams of the old man or woman. It's a genuine fight that you have to have. But there's only one way to deal with this old person, this old man, this old woman, and that is to crucify. Now, when we say crucify, sometimes we have this misconception because we think, oh, crucify just means put it on the cross. No, 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 no. Crucifixion meant death. It's almost like we're saying, okay, uh, and it's going to sound very vulgar, but you're going to the gas chamber. There's no hope of surviving the gas chamber. You're going to the electric chair. Oh, there's no hope of surviving the electric chair. It's, it's death. And when we hear that, we get scared. Our flesh, our old man or woman, is repulsed by it. But not so God's spirit that is in you. You understand intrinsically, if you're saved, that this is the only way. We have these values that we try to take into God's kingdom, and they don't last. And what happens is either you reject God over time, or you say, you know what? I'm picking up my cross, and I'm going to follow him into death. There's no way your old man or woman is going to make it into God's kingdom. That thing has to die. It has to die. Slowly, that thing has to die. Because it doesn't accept God at all. It's enmity toward God, the scripture says. And when you see God's scripture, you see his word, you see his commandments, you're like, Ugh, that can't be it. That doesn't sound good. That doesn't make me happy. That's not what I want. Die. Oh, man, I, I, I want to do this this particular way because that, that's my dreams. Die. You're going to see here there's only one way you continue to follow Christ, and that's if you go to the cross and follow him. Let's jump into the scripture. Matthew chapter 16 is really interesting because there are several things that happen from 14, 15, and 16 to lead up to this particular point. Two times that Jesus faces the Pharisees, one time they question him and they say, you know what, if you're the Messiah, show us a, a sign. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, but no sign will be given but that of Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, so the Son of Man shall be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth and walks away. He, he's not going to placate or coddle the Pharisees. They have to accept God's word as it is. And if they reject God, then that's up to them. But remember, Jesus isn't hiding what he's doing. He's already provided fish sandwiches for 5,000 people. And then he gave him McDonald's on one day, then he switches over to Wendy's and gives 4,000 fish sandwiches as well. And these guys are asking for a what? Sign? They're manipulating God. They don't see the sign. Jesus says, you know what? You can tell the signs of the season, but you can't even tell the signs that you're currently in? No, they could, but they were rejecting God. These Pharisees and Sadducees had these teachings and these expectations that were, in a sense, contrasting God's word. 
Remember, Jesus and the disciples during 14 and 15 and on to 16, they were, in a sense, eating wheat, and they were smashing the wheat and eating it, and, and the Pharisees came by and said, don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? They're, they're transgressing the tradition of the elders. And Jesus was like, oh, my goodness. He said, your traditions are nullifying the commands of God. He says, it's not what you put in your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth. The cause and effect, the source of what defiles us is our heart. And he's referencing our what? Our old man. This old person who has to die, it's what's causing us to reject God. We constantly find ourselves in a wrestling match when it's our aspirations or our will or our ability to, in a sense, seek our own attention. When we want affirmation over God's glory, we are still wrestling with the whims of the old man or woman. And that person has to die. You're going to see in the scripture, these are my words, but the words of God. Where's the comfort here? There's going to be comfort today. Where's the security? There is security in this scripture. You say, Pastor, I don't see it. You're talking about dying. There's nothing good about that. Oh, yes. Because the truth is, we all are dying anyway. Why are you worried about something you cannot stop? But we can send it ahead. Not only our wealth, but our life, our friends, our families. We can have assurance of eternal relationships, eternal rewards, if we place all of our trust in Jesus. Now, if you want to keep some of your life, and try to do what Jesus wants, you're not completely trusting him. You're double-minded. And that doesn't accomplish anything. There's a sacrifice that has to be made in order to follow Christ. And because of Jesus' teachings, he was rejected. Not because of his life. People love the miracles. They're like, yes, to Jean, that's the man. But when they heard the words that he spoke out of his mouth, they got all quiet offended and hurt. They're like, that can't be the Lord. Jesus was killed because of his teaching, not his actions. They did not like the words that came out of his mouth. So we remember in this scripture, Jesus warns them to be wary of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the teachings that were contrary to God's will. And the disciples were like, what? He must be talking about bread. And Jesus kind of rebukes him like, you're, you're still thinking about bread? I'm talking about the doctrine of the Sadducees and Pharisees. It was teaching that had leaven in it. There was pride latent within the teachings. The teachings puffed them up, the hearers. And because of these teachings, they could not hear or accept the words of Jesus Christ. And now, after this, Jesus Christ is coming south east from Tyre and Sidon. And as he comes down, he goes through the lake of, no, I'm sorry, the Sea of Galilee. And after this conversation, they get on land and they go into a place called Mount Hermon. Anybody know anything significant about Mount Hermon? Maybe not. If you've read the book of Enoch, which is very controversial there, supposedly these angels, fallen angels came down and started populating the planet at that particular time. 
Jesus is standing there and he says, the gates of hell shall not overcome this revelation. What revelation? The revelation that Jesus Christ is the rock. Faith in him is how we get saved. And remember Peter's declaration. He said, you are the son of God. And Jesus said, oh, surely flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And after this scene, Peter begins to change his perspective of Jesus because Jesus says these words pretty soon. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and there I'm going to be captured, tortured, and crucified. And what does Peter do? He grabs him. No, Lord, this will never happen to you. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan, for you care more about the things of man than the things of God. And Peter, who just had this great revelation from the mountaintop, is getting rebuked by Jesus, and he's trying to care for Jesus. But he didn't understand, Peter, that his doctrine had been leavened by the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The doctrine influenced his perspective of the Messiah. He thought, hey, the Messiah is here, so when he reigns, I'm going to reign with him now. But Jesus said, there's a scripture you hadn't even focused on yet. And this scripture says the Messiah will be crucified. And that's where we jump in today's lesson. Yes, Jesus just says, I'm going to be crucified, but then he flips it on the disciples. Remember, the disciples are thinking, you know what? Yes, we're going to reign and rule with Jesus. But then Jesus said, hey, not only will I be crucified, but you need to pick up your cross and follow me. In verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's clear. There's no way you can run around this text. This is not a text I picked. This is not me trying to make you feel bad. This is not me trying to scare you. I'm saying this is the word of God. Jesus Christ said these things. If you're going to follow me, you're going to pick up your cross and die. There's no hope of in a sense being saved because you're going to die. You and this old man and his or her desires, aspirations, and dreams have to die in order for you to stay on the path of following Jesus Christ. Because if you follow Jesus and you have your own desires, own plans, you're going to stray eventually. Why? Because you only have one master. You can't follow two masters. And it goes on to say, for whoever desires to save his life will what? Lose it. But in contrast to that, whoever loses his life for my sake will what? So this is what you call an irony. In order for us to save our real life, we have to lose our life. That's the only way. We don't get to save our life now and save it then. There's no option there. We have to take up our cross and follow him. 
So if we want to save it now, live the way we want, we'll lose it. It's an intellectual wrestling match there you should be going through. Could that be right? There's even something more interesting. This word in the Greek, take, this verb, I thought was present active indicative, which means a continuous action. I thought it was trying to say every day you take up your cross and follow him. Every day, every struggle that you go through, take up your cross and follow him. It's not saying that. It's saying this. It's a aorist tense, meaning a perfect, completed action. I mean, it's a one-time action. It means once you take up your cross and follow him, there's no taking it up again. It's a death that's complete. And sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes we struggle with our own will. Sometimes in my own life, I struggle with that because I want me time. I want to go home and relax. I want to go home and get away and watch some TV and read a book and kick up my feet. I'm like, yeah, it's my time to rest. But all the while, my kids need time. My wife needs time. There are people in the community who need my time. But, but what about me, God? What about my time? Don't I get a little bit of time? Take up your cross and follow me. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? <laughs> Look at what this is saying here. It's like, think about it. If you get your way all your life, if right now you become president and that's not God's will for your life, you become a billionaire and that's not God's will for your life, you spend all your life finding happiness and that's not necessarily God's will for your life. If you become the governor of the state and that's not God's will for your life, he's like, what profit is that? What have you gained at the expense of your soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? He's like, what in the world is it that you would give for your soul? Would you want to be the quarterback of the Vikings? Lord, if you just made me the quarterback just one year, He's like, is that worth your soul? That you go so far astray from God's will that you've experienced this climatic thing in your life. Hey, I made it. I reached the mountaintop. And you lost your soul. He's like, what have you gained? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will reward each according to his or her works. Now understand this. Yes, we're going to pass away. And right now that sounds scary. It does. But eternity is far better than this. Paul is like, what? It's better for me to be with Jesus. It's happier. It's more pleasurable. He said, but I have to stay here for your sake. <laughs> But yet we hear, particularly here in America, we get scared when it comes to stuff about death. Because like, it's over. No, you're already dying. But you have an opportunity to live. 
every time I look in the mirror, I find another gray hair. It's coming. I can't stop the train. But my brain sometimes doesn't want to think about that stuff. I want to put, what is it called, on the die. If I die out, then I won't have to think about it. But it ain't real. The gray hair is there to show me I need to sober up. Because I'm going to see Jesus Christ soon. And if I know I can't stop this train, why not give everything I have to Jesus Christ while I have the opportunity? And that's what he's basically asking you. You're trying to save something you can't keep. At risk of losing what you can never lose, which is an eternity. I got a couple points and we're done for the day. Point one. Jesus teaches that disciples die to their own desires and live for him. You have desires. I understand that. As you mature in your faith, you're going to realize it's not about your desires. The scriptures say if you delight yourself in the Lord, he shall give you what? The desires of your heart. But he gives you these desires after you what? Delight yourself in God. And once you delight yourself in God, you know what happens to your desires? They change and become God's desires. You have to come to the reality that God's way is best. And you have to understand when you don't want to do God's will, that's a war you're having to fight. Sometimes I don't want to do what God wants me to do. And I realize at that moment that old man is trying to rise up and come back and run things. It's a fight you have to fight. And God's grace is available for you and to you. Next point, a disciple is one who lives for his master and not for him or herself. Think about this. You are a disciple of Christ. You're living your life surrendered to God's will. That means it's imperative each day to understand what God's will is. I wish I could tell you I knew what God's will is for the next 40 years of my life, but sometimes I don't know moment by moment. I don't know. I have to constantly ask, Lord, what do you want me to do here? That's why we say here, church, spend time with Jesus. Pray, fast, study God's word. Spend time with him so you can discern his voice for yourself. Be vulnerable to God's purpose and plan for your life. That is what you're called to do. Next point, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Understand the scripture said this, deny yourself, deny yourself. It didn't say, hey, do what you want and then God will give you everything. No, no, it says deny yourself first. Put limits on what you can do, what you want, what you desire, and give your will to the Lord. And once you surrender to God, you know you're following him. You need to follow him every single moment you have breath in your body. Every time you come in contact with somebody, if they rub you the wrong way, understand that might be God's will for you to love them. Every time you come to church, it may be God's will for you to hear that word. You have an opportunity to go on a mission trip. You know what? That might be God's will for you to go to the other side of the planet. But we can reject his will at every single moment of our life too. We can say, I don't want to go on a mission trip right now. I don't want to be bothered with that person. They vex my spirit. Ah, 
But understand, that may be exactly what God has asked you to do. If you have a difficult time obeying God in the little things, then don't you think you're going to have a hard time obeying him in the big things? Next point. Why do we need to do this? So that we can receive rewards from Jesus upon his return. These aren't my words. These are the words of Jesus Christ. When we sacrifice our own life, our own desires, when we die to ourselves, then we live to Christ. The hope is when people see you, they see Jesus. Every action, every thought, every deed. And when you have problems obeying Christ, hearing his word, understand there's an old person in you that's trying to rise up and win. Don't let him win. Don't let her win. Beat your man. Beat your woman. Let that man or woman die on the cross. And allow Jesus Christ to live through you. Only you know when you're wrestling. You're wrestling with, oh man, I don't necessarily like that, Lord. How am I going to do that? Oh yes, you're, you're, you're dying at that moment. Help me, Lord. I can't do this. Oh yes, yes, your will is dying. And now his will, his heart is being manifested through your life. Last point. Have you done what Christ has asked you to do? Have you died to, to yourself? And are you living to Christ? This is a 100% discipleship message. This is 100% discipleship. The disciples heard this in their whole paradigm. Their whole theology system was wrecked because they had no idea this was coming. They were following Jesus up to this point, believing that, you know what? They're going to be kings of the planet now in Jesus' lifetime. 2017 years ago, they thought, oh, Jesus is here. Man, I'm thinking about maybe he's going to make me king over this area right here or this area. You know what? My kingdom, I'm going to have this type of house, this type of car. I'm, yes, I'm going to have these horses and chariots. And Jesus has died. And they're like, what? Die. Me? Die. Right now, die. No, Lord. This can't be. And their whole world was wrecked. This cannot be reality. Yes. But it's okay. Because remember, Jesus will never tell you to do anything he hasn't done himself. He's already done it. Jesus had to surrender his life. And he did it on the cross. And he was an example to tell you that you could do it too. Sometimes our frustration in life is that we're not reaching our own ideals. Sometimes we have to realize our ideals are wrong. So that's when we surrender our ideals and concepts about success and happiness. And we turn to Jesus and say, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. Not my will, but your will be done. And when we trust God at that level, fruit comes. I'm not saying it's easy. I can never say that. 
It wasn't easy studying for graduate school. It's not easy raising kids. It's not easy being a husband. It's not easy being a pastor. It's not easy playing football or basketball or baseball. It's not easy being you. This ain't easy either. But when you do it well, it's worth it. To hear these words from Jesus, well done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord God, to hear your voice. And you've set a challenge before us. Lord God, there are people all over the world who are dying without knowing you. There are people here in Brooklyn Park who are dying without knowing you. And you ask us to die ourselves so that we could live, but not only us, but they could live too. Help us, Lord, trust your word. Help us have confidence in you. Help us surrender our entire being so that you could live through us. Help us do what you've called us to do and bring a smile to your face. In your name we'll pray for all eternity. Amen. Well, church, you made it through. This was the hardest one, I think, of Jesus' teaching, and it may be the hardest one going forward. The disciples didn't like it until Jesus Christ was resurrected. Then once they realized he lived, their whole paradigm switched. My hope for you is that you don't reject the message of Jesus Christ, but you accept it. I don't know what dying to yourself looks like to you, but I know what it looks like to me. My hope is that if you're wrestling with this message, you go back and open your own Bible and pray and hear from God for yourself. Just don't take my word for it. Research it. Look it up for yourself. The Bible said the who? The Bereans were more noble. The people of Vissacar understood the times. My hope for you is that you take the time and know God's word for yourself. My hope for you is that when he whispers, you're close enough to hear. My hope for you is that you can break free the shackles of the society to fall in love with God. It's not hard to die for somebody you love. If Romeo did it for Juliet, can't you do it for Jesus? All-consuming fire
This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, just head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong.